You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 17. Welcome to the Give Me Five podcast. I'm Jimmy, and I'm here with Rob. Hey, guys. And Greg. Welcome back, Jimmy. Thank you. I am back. I am uh, back from a very much-needed vacation. I wanted to thank Omar and Cal for filling in for me. I went up to Virginia to see some family. Uh, we stopped in Pooler, Georgia. You guys can look that one up. Small town. Did a little Black Friday shopping. Uh, big shout-out to Bath & Body Works. And uh, got to stroll around Savannah, Georgia, which is probably the coolest city I've ever been to. Yeah, did you buy your, your boss anything nice? Um, yeah, of, of course. You'll just have to wait like a couple of weeks or something. <laughs> I actually did buy you something on Black Friday. And and I actually did go to Bath and Body Works and buy stuff. So Right? Buy three, I, get three free. Well, I I love this is my favorite time of year at like Bath and Body Works because I love the Christmas scents that come out. So like the the fresh balsam and the uh, the new the new one that they have this year is like some kind of snow cottage snow cottage yes. or something like that. Saw that I, one. I love both of those, and we usually end up stocking this up. This is on by those. far the earliest we've gone off the rails. So the <laughs> we stock up on them so that we have them like all year round. It also explains why Rob has been trying to get me to come over and give him a foot massage. Yeah, baby. So here on the Give Me Five podcast, we discuss our favorite scents from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> Warm vanilla sugar, for the record, is the only good scent. No, we we discuss uh, five things that have entertained us for the week, and that for this week, we will be talking about the Netflix original series The Punisher, Pixar's new movie Coco. I will be talking about the latest Pokemon Global Challenge event. <coughs> Nerd. <coughs> Sorry. Nerd. <clears throat> because it came up previously and I just saw it, we're going to talk about what we do in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> and we'll be just... I was laughing at the actual movie. Rob, definitely not. We'll also be discussing the new movie Creep 2. It's not about Rob. And it's Greg's favorite scent because that's what I spray on my body. No, editing it that out of my brain. Editing it out of my brain. Maybe not the episode, but it's definitely getting edited out of my brain. So, okay. guys, this is a review show, and there will probably be spoilers. I think I may have spoiled a couple of cents for everybody out there this evening. <laughs> we will try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you didn't know that Tom Holland is not actually from Holland, but the UK, and played a teenaged Peter Parker from New York City when he was 21... Or that Greg is currently watching you while you sleep. Oh, you might Ooh. you might want to you might want to turn away now and come back later. And if you want to complain about me watching you while you're asleep, you can check us out on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. That's F I V E five. You can check us out on Twitter at Give Me Five Pod, or you can email us at Give Me Five Podcast at Gmail Best way to help the podcast, of course, is to give us a review on whatever podcast software you are listening to us on i did see some reviews pop up and that was awesome thank you guys very much uh anything new guys well 
Uh, Not all at the, once. <laughs> <laughs> um, the in, uh, trailer for the Avengers Infinity Wars was released this morning. Mm-hmm. It's true. And wow. <clears throat> yeah, I woke up to a message from Rob. Oh, awesome. Uh, it is... I, I believe uh, a student mentioned to me today that they read in a description that it is certified to give you goosebumps. And uh, it sure did. And that message was one that I wrote and left on his nightstand. That is not true. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> because I was watching him sleep. Yeah. That's so, so sweet. I got, the, I got a feeling that I have not had in a while, and I really hate saying that phrase out loud right after what Rob said. <laughs> But when I saw the trailer <clears throat> and everyone was kind of was kind of like joining up, I I got the same feeling I used to get when I would watch the All Star Game, the baseball All Star Game, as a kid. Because when we when we were kids, there was very few teams we actually got a chance to see play baseball. Mm-hmm. For at least, you know, it was I could always see the Cubs, I could always see the Braves, and when I lived in Pittsburgh, I could see the Pirates. But I had all the baseball cards of all these other people who I knew that they were good, and it was when the all-star game came together, it was when I got a chance to see all the American league players for the first time. So it was like the first time you got to see the bash brothers, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Cause we were, we got all national league teams for the most part, wherever we lived. And when I saw that trailer, I got that same feeling of like, you know, it's this like super team coming together. You know, when you watch the all-star game back then, it was like, how could anyone beat these guys? And it was kind of the same thing with this trailer more adult level you know how does how is it possible that anyone could beat these guys yeah i i, I also good. i also was very excited when i saw the trailer it it looks like it is going to be absolutely fantastic i'm still super excited for black panther's movie in february which is going to come out oh, yeah. before 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 um avengers 4 um but i mean the movie the movie you know it's already do it's already given me the goosebumps you know i'm i'm yep. very excited about seeing the movie um, one of the other things that I was excited about though, that I just, that I heard recently is that apparently you're, I know that we've talked about it in a previous episode, but the Disney deal with Fox is not dead yet. And in fact, I just saw something that they're still kind of trying to progress rapidly towards it. So we I saw that I did see that article as well. We, we there, may, there we may still see the X-Men and the, um, and the fantastic four rejoin the Marvel universe. Wow. Uh, which if that does happen, you could totally see how the end credit scene would go on something like an Avengers four, you know, leading hinting at something like Avengers versus X-Men or something with the fantastic four mm-hmm. opening up a portal or something like that. Well, that does bring us to some interesting news contractually. Why don't you tell us about that, Greg? Yeah. I saw an article that um, Kevin Feige or Feige, I think the Feige. head of all of Feige, the Feige. I think it is. Feige. Add um, that to the top five names that Greg has mispronounced this year. It's true. He said that the Avengers 4 movie, so the movie that comes after Infinity War, will be pretty much the finale for the current Marvel Universe. So that means, and partially or mostly because uh, Chris Evans, who's Captain America, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, of course, Mark Ruffalo, who's the Hulk, Scarlett Johansson, who, of course, plays Black Widow, Chris Hemsworth, who is a wonderful Thor, Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye, that is their last contracted movie. Also, at some point, some of these guys are going to be really, really old to be uh, running around in spandex. Mm-hmm. That's a hint to you, Rob. Some people get too old to run around in spandex, <clears throat> and some of us just age like a fine wine. <laughs> nice. So, I don't know what they would do next because I mean, would they recast them or 
or I mean, how's that going to work? Or are they just going to like reboot it forever? Like they do with, with uh, Batman or, or like every comic book. ever. I made. think they're going to have to reboot it. It oh, might be, would... might be a story based reboot. That like suck so hard. One, though. I really, really don't want them to do the whole like origin stories again. Like I never want to see another origin story again at all. Agreed. Absolutely. 100% oh. agree. Comic books reboot things all the time. They have to, because as we'll talk about, you know, for, I'll give an example as we're talking about later tonight with the Punisher, the Punisher was a Vietnam war era character, but that doesn't resonate today. There was a time that Punisher became a desert storm era character. And now the Punisher is a Afghanistan war uh, character hmm. because th- the characters, the readers either age or actually the readers for the most part, largely stay in the same age group, but the characters, you know, have to like grow and get older. So I don't know if they're going to do something within a story to make, to kind of reboot everything where it's either these characters training the replacements was did as did happen in the comics. If they're going to just replace them with new actors uh, or if they're going to go like the ultimate route where it's a different take on everything so much so that the change in characters makes sense. Uh, what would you guys want to see? Well, I I really like where they've gone with the current Marvel Universe and to basically restart the story before I feel like they've even finished this one, I feel is a little premature. Um, I Ideally, I would like to see the Infinity War be at least a two-part series. Um, because I think I'm pretty sure it will be okay. Because I think I, there's I way feel to... like this movie. I I really feel this movie is going to be the Empire Strikes Back of the series of all of them. Like not such a happy ending kind of thing, mm-hmm. where where like half of them disappear or something, and mm-hmm. or get torched, and maybe that maybe that stinger at the end of the trailer right happens a lot later in the movie than we think. Okay, where it's like, hey, what are we going to do now? Like, there's we need reinforcements kind of thing. Yeah, possibly. Hmm. Well, I mean, because I, I hope that they don't try and rush it, because like I, like I've said in the past, I mean, this the, the Infinity Gauntlet series, the Infinity War is is my second favorite storyline from the from the comics that I've read, you know, in all the years that I read comic books. It's, mm-hmm. it's my second favorite. And I really don't want them to screw it up the way they screwed up my favorite one. So my, my favorite one, of course, being the Dark Phoenix saga. And they completely butchered that in X-Men three. But um, that they did. But, but they're redoing it again, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a second time to screw it up. Um, exactly. But, the, yeah, I, I really don't want them to rush it. I really want them to get this right because this 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 miniseries, if you will, could be epic. It could be one of the greatest things ever put on film. I know that's probably a little bit ridiculous, but it, it really could be a fantastic movie or a couple of movies if they if they do it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I just want Hawkeye to wear the purple suit. I don't care about anything <laughs> else. Yeah, with the, with the the bat or the Wolverine style mask. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. That's all wings. I care about. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> uh, the other news, and this is something I just put up on our list. Uh, I saw it right before we started recording. The showrunners for the second season of American Gods just stepped down. That both of them did. Whoa! And is the, that is usually concerning. Is the season finished yet? Uh, yeah, first season's finished. They were work. They were halfway through the second season, uh, writing wise. So the season is half written by the original showrunners, and the showrunners have stepped down. There's it. This literally came through about an hour before we started recording here on Wednesday night. So I don't know too much of the details. I was going to say a word on why or anything like that. They they went. It was 
pretty amicable. It seems like they did go to the cast and crew and apologize and and uh, you know and say that they were doing it so they didn't just get like locked out of their you know trailers. Uh, Neil Gaiman, who wrote American Gods and has written Sandman and has done some show running and directing on some of Doctor Who Christmas episodes, which mm-hmm. are longer style episodes, he is rumored to be taking over. I don't know if it was a hostile takeover. And dun, dun, dun. could be interesting because he definitely has a very British sensibility when it comes to the way things are filmed and done. They have, it has slightly different pacing, which I, I can't describe why Doctor Who feels different, but it does. And anything that he's directed in the past, I think he had a lot to do with Coraline and, and other movies like that and stuff. Mm-hmm. I uh, It has had a different feel and pacing to it, so I'm intrigued, uh, but worried. I am worried as well. We'll see that's, what happens. That's why, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I knew that you you liked the tone of the uh, of the show. So that is uh, well. Yeah. I was going to say one of the other things that I was going to bring up, it completely unrelated to anything that we've just talked about. Um, I actually did get a chance tonight to actually just go see the um, the new projection show at the Hogwarts Castle at uh, Islands of Adventure, and I'd heard a couple of people saying that. It's better than um, the show at Disney, the Happily Ever After, and that mm-hmm. is a total freaking lie. <laughs> oh um, well, it's I mean it's it's neat. Don't get me wrong, but there's sure. there's there's not a whole lot to it. I mean, I'm I am not one for fireworks. Fireworks aren't something that really impressed me, um, but Disney's fireworks are really good. And really well timed and everything like that. And part of the problem is that because of where Universal is, it's kind of in a residential area. They don't have the same freedom with the fireworks, so they're really limited on what they can do in that respect. But just the just the show in general. I mean, the show's only like seven minutes long. I think mm-hmm. it's only like seven minutes long. It's really it's a really nice projection, but it's uh, I'm like, eh, yeah, it's neat, hmm. but it's it's not like it's not like Happily Ever After. Happily Ever After is far superior. Yeah. I, I did just look up some stuff about the American gods thing. It was, um, they're disagree- They left over disagreements over budget and creative direction. Mm, that budget will get and, you every time. And the per episode budget is currently at $10 million per episode. Ooh. And the, Good and they Lord. did not want to give any more money. So that's why they're leaving. Um, one of the show creators, this is actually cool. One of the show creators, uh, is leaving to work on his next project, which is the amazing stories reboot. A show that we've actually talked about twice. Yes, twice on our show, and I'm did not though that was going to be happening. So I'm actually really, really excited about that. That is jazzed. I remember watching that with with my family as a kid, and that'll be something cool that you can probably do with your kids. Yeah, that is true. Okay, and uh, last but not least, in comic book nerd news, uh, Walking Dead: Fear the Walking Dead crossover. Don't care. Who cares? Jimmy does not care. I kind of care because it might give me something care. to care about. Fear of the Walking Dead is such a lame show compared to The Walking Dead. Nobody cares about Fear of the Walking Dead. That is true. Nobody cares Although about I watch that it. show. And it sucks. Although I do watch it. It has its moments. Sucky moments. I found there's a lot of characters on that show that I, that I don't care about. That's the biggest problem. I like the change in scenery a lot of times. There's a lot of times I get that show very confused with The Last Ship, which I used to watch just because they kind of did the going to the shore and getting on a boat and that kind of thing. But they have been talking about a Fear the Walking Dead, Walking Dead crossover. And because of the accent 
of the main actress on Fear the Walking Dead, who had like an Alabama, maybe Texas, I don't know, couldn't nondescript Southern accent. Southern, yeah, yeah. Everyone always, everyone assumed that she was related to Abraham in some way, who has been uh, gone from Walking Dead for a couple of years now, or about a year and a half. And everyone was all excited, thinking that maybe you'd get to see Michael Cudlitz play Abraham again, just before his uncomfortable demise. And uh, it turned out that the character that's going to be crossed over is going to be uh, Lenny or Lenny James, who is uh, <laughs> Lenny, Lenny, Lenny from James. The Simpsons? Yeah, that's Lenny. Huge news. Yeah, Lenny James, who plays Morgan on the uh, on the show. Don't care. So yeah. I think a lot of people were really upset that it wasn't Abraham, and there was, of course, some some chitter chatter online as people are apt to do but what people talking on the internet no yeah i know people complaining about about crap but i which is which is kind of ironic considering that's exactly what we're doing right now it's true i (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about i think (laughs) i'm hoping it's really really good so it gives me because he's going to become a a series regular so he's actually going to be on both series full-time or he's going to get off in the very near future on this series but he's going to be a series regular so he's doing it around well there's no spoiler yet. That was a guess. Everyone knows he's going to be a series regular on both. So there's going to be something that's actually consequential. We just have to see what it is. And I'm hoping that it leads to some payoff for the for Fear of the Walking Dead, which, again, I, there's there's been not a lot of characters that I've kind of connected with, um, unlike Walking Dead, where there's several characters that I, that I have connected with to the point of where I get sad if they get you know eaten by zombies. Yeah. And can I just say So that, moving on to new... Okay, yep. go ahead. No, I was just going to mention another trailer. I'm just super excited. It's two weeks away. Okay, good. The No, The Last Jedi. I can't wait for it. We've already got our tickets. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about that when we talk about Coco later. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about something else when we talk about Coco later. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah, you can uh, move on, Jimmy. So moving on to something I actually care about... Um, <laughs> And that, Greg, I feel you undersold um, when we talked about this before I went on vacation is the movie What We Do in the Shadows that I had. First of all, I remember when I watched it, I was really, really sick when I watched it. Okay. Have you watched it again since then? Because it's. No, I thought I said it was funny. I said I liked it. It's. I just didn't. It was the selling that I was like, I was not overselling. I was not overselling anything because I was like in a daze. Yes, I. you undersold it, is what I'm saying. <coughs> I know. I undersold everything at that point because I was, like, high on cold medicine. It is one of the f- funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, I, I'm not going to put it in my top five or anything like that, but I thought it was one of the most original takes on uh, the, the vampire uh, mystique that we've seen. Uh, it poked fun at... And paid homage to um, some of the well, the Lost Boys. Uh, it it paid homage to well, each one. Each one of the characters. So it's a sort of a mockumentary about vampires, and each they're all like roommates. And yes. each one of the vampires is a different style of vampire. So yep, there are four vampires living in a flat together in New Zealand, and like you said, they are all you know. A hundred or so years old, ranging up to, you know, like 800 years old. So you've got your Nosferatu-esque vampire. You've got your very romanticized, you know. uh, There's your Anne Rice-style vampire. Yeah, exactly. There's your um, 
your classic black and white style vampire, um, like the who, who played uh, Bella Lugosi vampire. Then there's your um, Bram Stoker's Dracula vampire, like the Gary Oldman one. And then, of course, there's the uh, Twilight young hipster millennial vampire. Wait, that's four vampires. Yeah. Oh, I thought, well, I thought you said three. No, there's four. Oh, okay. There's four. One lives in a basement, and he's kind of easy to forget about. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, it was directed by, and I'm sorry for repeating things, but I really feel like if if you guys you know listen to that episode and we're like, oh, okay, whatever, you gotta watch it. Um, it's directed and stars uh, Taika Waititi, who um, directed Thor Ragnarok, which we all raved about and loved. Um, we did reference the joke in there that Korg, when they were selecting their weapons, he, he picks up this, you know, stick that has three points on it. He says, you know, this would be great if, uh, you, you had to stab, you know, three vampires that were standing very close together, uh, which refers to the three vampires that we see the most of in what we do in the shadows. Um, like I said, there, there's a lost boy. There's a whole scene. It's, it's just hilarious where they reference the lost boys um you're eating maggots michael uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they they have a lot of fun with it um you know there were i think there greg i think you said this you know the episode that we talked about it again there were some great practical effects in there there were some extremely funny and inventive ways of showing off these powers that the vampires have uh you know, by, <laughs> um, you know, having familiars, um, humans to do their bidding mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, the, the young kind of hit vampire, you said. And by young, we're saying, like, he's 180 years old. Um, he has a human servant who is very frustrated with the fact that she has not been turned into a vampire yet. Um, Got the werewolves, of course. Werewolves, not swearwolves. Which who are like the most understanding like passive werewolf you know what i mean yeah they were just well, like it was the guy it was uh murray from flight of the concords it was one of them he was very like very new zealand very uh passive uh, apologetic almost in a way yeah hey, say you're sorry don't swear you know we're we're nice people kind of deal and even the scene where they were turning Mm -hmm. spoilers here i mean there's a scene where they are turning and they're very con concerned about the things that they're wearing and ruining their clothes when they turn into werewolves yeah that just had me on the floor there's a scene in there where vladislav who's one of the vampires who has the power of turning into animals but he can't uh the <laughs> quote is he can't get the faces quite right had me in tears you said it had you laughing so much that the the iPad that you were watching on yeah. was bouncing off of the off of your stomach. Yeah, I was uh, laying in a a hotel bed in Savannah, Georgia, um, and I had my laptop on my stomach, and I was laughing so hard that it was just it was on the verge of falling off. Hmm. Um, I I hope I hope that that movie gets the praise that it deserves. Um, uh, the budget was 1.6 million, I believe. And it made just over 6 million. Um, apparently, uh, 125 hours of footage were shot. It took them over a year to whittle it down. And there was all, almost all improvisation. Oh, they wow. basically 
I could see that. It basically took a, a framework. He wrote scripts. I'm looking at it now. Uh, it was written by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. Uh, yes. Taika Waititi, of course, is the guy from uh, who directed Thor. And Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Clement is the guy who... He's the voice of the crab in Moana. Moana. <laughs> However, he's also um, from Flight of the Concords. He is... Uh, He's on uh, Legion, which is which is a great take on superheroes on TV right now on FX. And of course, you pro- you might also know as the, as the voice of the villain in the Rio movies, the the bird villain. And I guess they wrote 150 pages of script, but didn't actually show it to anybody, and just kind of guided people through improvisation to get them where they needed to be to progress the story along. And sometimes that doesn't work, and sometimes it works really well as you can witness in this movie. Yeah, there there are moments where now that you say that, it's pretty obvious that the other people are kind of waiting for a cue and it's like, oh, but hey, and then we go over here and they kind of guide the action. Um, still, it's extraordinarily funny and, in, you know, inventive and, and new. And it's just really refreshing to see stuff like that. And I'm absolutely in love with Taika Waititi and I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on whatever he does with it's whether it's continuing with the Marvel universe or, you know, getting bigger budgets to do bigger pictures. I can't wait to see what he does in the future. There's a couple other things there. There is talk of a sequel to this called what we do in the moonlight following the vampires, which would be great. You mean werewolves. Yeah. Um, the, the werewolves, yeah, werewolves, vampires. It's late. Um, that was one thing, which I would, I would be on board with that. And the other thing, when they, they did a funeral scene where they threw a, a fake – well, it was one of the vampires that had been burnt because of getting in the sun. They throw him into uh, into uh, the harbor for a funeral scene, and apparently it floated away before they could get it. So they had to put out – in the town where they were filming, they had to put out a news brief, a news bulletin out there to say that the body floating around in the harbor is not a real body. And <laughs> don't freak out because it was you know very British. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Or New Zealand, yeah. It was. Is it New Zealand where they filmed? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So it was very. So they had to put out this new, this press release to make sure that people didn't like flip out that there was this very realistic looking charred body floating around in the harbor. Nice. Yeah. Well, then I. So check it out. I it is on to, Amazon Prime Video. I may have to check it out too. Then. Please do. You'd like it. It's 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 funny. Pretty sure it's your kind of humor. Right on. So let's go from funny to really heartfelt. I think. This is one of the... Yes, we are now going to talk yeah. about the very heartfelt Creep 2, which stars <laughs> a serial killer. What's... Oh, we're talking about Coco no, now. No, Go we're ahead. totally talking about Creep 2. Apparently we're no, talking about Creep 2. No, let's shift over to Coco. Okay, up next, the second thing we're going to talk about is the new Pixar movie, Coco, which came out this past Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, it's a beautiful movie set in the land of the dead and in Mexico with a lot of Mexican heritage, a lot of Mexican music. And it was beautiful. It was stunning and heartfelt is my general opinion of it. Uh, What did you guys think? Well, I, I went into it and I'm like, haven't we already had a movie about this? And yeah, kind of, but I guess it was a little bit different um, because we had book of life. What uh, about a year and a half ago now? Yeah. Something like that, um, which was also about uh, Dia de los Muertos. But the for me, the movie got started off and it was a little slow. It was a little slow getting into it. 
Um, but the for me, the ending totally saved the movie because right up right up to the part where I think we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Right up to the part where there was there was that really dark twist. I'm like, whoa, is this a Disney movie? <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll we'll definitely hit on that. Yeah, yeah. a little but, bit. But up to about that part, I'm going. All right. Um, yeah, there's there really isn't anything about this movie to draw me into it, other than that it that it's really colorful and really well, and you know, it's the the art is really well done. I mean, I, I wasn't being drawn into the story all that much. Um, it was kind of slow. It took a while to get developed, but the for me, the ending totally saved the movie, and it was actually a, it was actually a very heartfelt heartfelt ending and a very very um, well laid out movie. I think I think the way that they paced it out in the beginning made the end hit that much harder. Yeah, I I had different concerns, similar but different concerns about the beginning because I was there, of course, with a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. So whenever something doesn't have a lot of action or slapstick comedy or cute, funny, talking animals, I do have concerns about that because I'm a little worried that he's going to be like, start to stir and start to move around. I want to go now. <laughs> Yeah, he was actually riveted the whole time, and that's you know I can always pinpoint the the parts of various movies where he starts getting a little like, okay, when when is the minion going to do something goofy now? Mm -hmm. So he was riveted the whole time. I was I was as well. I know very little about the Day of the Dead and the traditions behind it. So some of that exposition at the beginning I kind of needed, and I and I enjoyed the way that stuff was brought in and. There was a big part of me that had to put off some disbelief at a major plot point, which we'll end up covering later, that that dark twist in the middle definitely, oh, okay, that that got rid of that big open gaping hole. So I thought that was, uh, I thought it was very well done. Uh, what do you think, Jimmy? I enjoyed every turn the movie took. I mean, from establishing what Dia de los Muertos is in the beginning, um, and you know, the building of the character Miguel, um, you, you kind of saw where the movie was going. I mean, they they did kind of flip it up, you know, to that point that we'll talk about. But you were also led to believe one thing, you know, throughout the, the first, you know, quarter of the movie um, before it was revealed after. I mean, again, we'll talk about it, but yeah. um, I, I thought it was great i mean overall i thought it was for great for adults and children great for families to take um you know the rest of their family too um did you guys notice the um little tiny easter egg as they were kind of going through the city there were a couple of pinatas in the front of a vendor i yeah i i, I saw your note here but i i missed that in the movie when i was watching it i didn't see that. i missed that too i did catch the the one room with all of the the famous kind of Mexican musicians and artists and, you know, actors like kind of in the same area. I noticed that I didn't recognize all of them, but I there was a shot where they had a bunch of them and I noticed it afterwards. But yeah, there, there was so much depth and color in that movie that it's really easy to miss stuff. And and like I said, it for me, it was a little slow getting started, but they laid it out very well so that the ending had the had the most impact for me. Yeah. Um, and and I will say that I did not see the first twist coming. Some uh, somebody that I saw the movie with 
called the twist or they knew the twist, uh, you know, before the movie even got started. Um, I, I didn't see the first twist coming, but as soon as the first twist hit, I already knew the second twist before they announced it. So I was like, oh, okay, this is what happened. Yeah, if you've so, seen the movie, you're going to know exactly what Rob's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, you did mention the, you know, showing, uh, you know, or at least the representation of some famous figures in, you know, Mexican culture, entertainment yeah. history. The um, character Ernesto de la Cruz is actually based on um, some very big, uh, crossover stars of the the 50s and 60s uh, Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrete who they actually show uh, they have skeletons for you know oh, okay. kind of characters go by at some point and say hey Pedro hey Jorge uh, and it's also kind of loosely based on the still living Vincente Fernandez who is a, a superstar um, in the Mexican music world I assume Mexican music and entertainment uh, he's You'll you'll recognize him if you see him. Gotcha. Uh, the voice acting and all of the the characterization is is great. It's they actually went with uh, Mexican actors, and which I think was good because this movie is very heavily steeped in Mexican culture, and I think it would be done a disservice if you didn't use people that understood that culture. Right. Well. You know, I also thought it would have done a disservice if all of the movie was in English. Yeah. And while, it, of course, at times I... I Particularly the music. Yeah. I I didn't understand a lot of it. In context, I kind of did. But it, culturally, I think it was very well represented. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of conversation in that movie about family. Yes, a lot. Without without going too deep into the plot, um, you want to go make some phone calls right after a thought. Yeah, right. Without going too deep into the plot, the the main character wants to be a musician, and due to family history, basically the whole family has is against music. It's kind of uh, it's, it's the town Mex- Mexican footloose. Yeah, Mexican <laughs> footloose, basically. That's right. <laughs> so they all make they all make shoes, and the little boy wants to be a musician, and kind of has this little like stowaway clubhouse where he plays music and looks up to these people well mostly to musicians one. and stuff well, yeah to one, one it's one musician ernesto de la cruz yes and <clears throat> then eventually he kind of finds his you know ticket to go to he basically wants to play music at like a, a contest and ends up touching a guitar that belonged to ernesto de la cruz it's in his in his uh grave what is that thing called his uh mortuary or his uh catacomb his memorial or his uh yeah catacomb thing and he touches it and all of a sudden he is in the the land of the dead he can get to the the real world if he gets someone's blessing to go back to the real world but all of his past family members refuse to let him come back if he decides to play music again and that kind of leads to into the story well not not all of them just one in particular yeah his uh great 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 grandmother something like that yeah. But but nobody will go against her, and that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that leads him to have to seek out other ways of getting back, and that kind of leads into the story. Now, I guess we can, we've can we danced around it, the the plot twist. Murder. So, yeah, so there's a, a murder scene that's not just, you know, someone eating a fish. He's straight up poison the dude. <laughs> yeah, in a Pixar movie. And the guy, so we do the spoiler at the beginning. 
But because we've danced around this stuff, you might think that we're not going to spoil the hell out of stuff, and we're about to spoil the hell out of some stuff. Yeah. So if so, you don't want to know, cut off now. Yeah. Okay, three, two, one. Good. So the character who is is dead, who the boy looks up to, uh, turns out to be not such a nice guy and actually killed his, songwriting, killed his songwriting companion. And that's where actually and, and, and stole his took work. his music. Right, stole, stole his, work. his work and passed it off as his own. And it means that he ends up being remembered and this other guy does not. The whole movie, it seemed as if the little boy needed to get to this musician because he felt that that musician was his relative and would give him the blessing to go back and play music, which is yet another twist. But that some of those twists leading into it really opened up some of the, the problems. It got rid of some of the problems I had with the movie early. Like very rarely is the person that left his family to go become a musician and never returning and never return to the family <clears throat> considered the hero mm-hmm. or someone to look up to. Right. And for the first half of the movie, that person is. Yeah. And they show his opulent lifestyle. And I'm, I, my whole thought between that was like, wow, Pixar is definitely taking a very big risk here as being like, hey, you know, leave your family, follow your dreams. You're going to get rich, but never talk to your family again. That right. was the that was like the risk well, or and, the, the message. And, and the other it. the other message that I was getting worried about was that the for the first half of the movie it was like the family is all important and you shouldn't follow your dreams message. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. When it turns out that the the real message is you could do both. Exactly. Don't forget don't forget yourself and your family to become famous and don't only follow what your family wants for you because that's you know, restraining you as well. Right. It sounds like uh, Jimmy has has to talk about something else, has a problem with something else. Mm, the short, and I'm I'm doing air quotes. The mm-hmm. long. Yeah, I I could have done without that also. I I really so this was the first time that Pixar uh Pixar has always had a a short film preceding their feature films and this and they're was usually test films for various technology that might Come, coming in later like they did the one about clouds and then yep. the next movie they did was up uh, uh they did the one with the the water and then dory you know finding dory came out so some of them are very are designed to test out new technology to see if they can do it on a what, full scale what was the one that followed the old man playing chess with himself uh that was actually to test honestly that was to test a thing called subdivisions um subdivision so, surfaces yeah which and they did it to be able to figure out how to do the fingernails on the old man because it's a way of doing setting up a model low poly and then clicking one button and basically having it render high poly. Um, so it was really, I mean, that I think that short either came out very early before like any of the movies, Jerry's Game. I don't remember. Um, I it think that one was Jerry's actually done. Yeah, it was. It was before I think Toy Story as a as a hmm. before Pixar was huge. Okay. So it was done to test the the subdivision services. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Go on, Jimmy. So, um, anyway, it that was also not only a kind of a test bed for emerging technologies um, with Pixar. It was also a proving ground, or a you know, kind of a, a testing ground for directors and talent. And I really felt like Disney just kind of forced their hand on this one and said, "No, we have this franchise in Frozen," and. You know, here we are releasing this right before the holiday season. We need to keep that. We need to keep that merchandise selling. Um, I actually, I thought of it more along the lines of Disney not trusting Coco to perform on its own 
because it is a movie primarily set in another culture and another country. Which is super unfortunate if that's the case. Yeah. And I sad. I 100% thought that. And it, um, yes, I agree. I I felt like it it didn't have any heart. Um, I I thought, you know, the film was just there to push Olaf dolls and, you know, frozen coffee mugs. Um, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And uh, I... I'm I'm really it became I'm disappointed that we we didn't get a Pixar short that you know we could see in a collection of movies at some point a a Pixar collection um you know even, Piper was phenomenal even the songs were bad I mean I didn't really even like the songs cuz they had there songs were, in the short and I'm like this yeah these there were 145 songs in that short <laughs> yeah like again with my it was problem painful. like you know, any any parent will tell you that once the popcorn runs out, you're you're screwed. Oh, we I and like when I was sitting there with the kid, and I it, when it became apparent to me as the song was going a little longer, and they weren't they hadn't even really begun getting into the plot of the the float the frozen thing. I'm like, oh, this is this be, is bad. This is going to be thirty minutes or so. I uh, apparently what it was supposed to be a TV series it was supposed to be like a, a holiday tv thing and i don't know why they didn't just keep it that way they should have yeah then people wouldn't you know it's perfect quality for tv um and it was such a different feel from the movie i mean extraordinarily different temperature wise first of all culture wise like you got so engrossed in the mexican culture that going to a completely other country at the beginning didn't make sense to me like it did, there was no connections whatsoever no um in fact, it was also something I forgot like right afterwards, and I was having a conversation with said four-year-old in the kitchen tonight, and he was actually talking about it, which he actually liked it, but he was talking about it, and he was you know telling some of the plot points of that, and I was like, why does that sound familiar? Like it, it To me, it was like someone had told me a story about that, like, oh, someone was trying to do traditions, and I was like, what? It's like, yeah, and the tradition was the snowman. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I realized, oh, it was that short movie I just saw four days ago. Ah, but it didn't stick because I was as soon as Coco appeared on screen, it wiped all of the memories of that away for me. And I don't think I'm the only one that. Uh, yeah, no, I hated it. It 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 missed the mark for me too. I I I would have been perfectly all right if they'd have run that before the trailers, and I could have just shown up to the theater late and still gotten to see the trailers, and then have it go right into. Them. I had to refill my popcorn. During during the short, <laughs> yeah, my my girlfriend looks over and she goes, "Why don't you go ahead and uh, get that refill before the real movie starts?" And I said, "Okay," and I had no problem all the theater in anger. <laughs> I had no problem missing the four or five minutes of that short that I did because wow. I hated it. I I would like to say before we move on, see what you guys think because I I felt like there was a scene that was missing at the end of the movie. That would have that would have maybe driven that knife into the feels, you know, just a little bit harder. Um, and the one I'm talking about is when when he's when he's in there with his with his uh, with Coco, basically when he's in there with Coco trying to get her to remember, mm-hmm. and he has that moment right before he looks down at the guitar and sees the guitar and gets the idea to play the song. Okay. If they'd have flashed back to the to the land of the dead. And shown her father slowly disappearing, uh, or yeah, shown Coco's father slowly disappearing, and the mother, you know, doing the the whole "I forgive you" thing, you know, "I still love you" kind of crap like that. 
I, mm-hmm. I think it would have made that scene hit even harder if they'd have actually put that in there. And I, and I'm, a, I'm actually kind of questioning why they left that out because it doesn't seem like something that they would overlook because that seems like a scene that they could have easily put in there and it would have made sense. And it would have actually, it would have actually hit that much harder. Yeah. I think between the two different worlds and all the plot twists and all the characters and everyone, all the characters are really pretty well spelled out like desires and stuff mm-hmm. that, that additional little remembrance of the the very sad part of that whole thing was the the crossing over that when you know if the last person that remembers him on our world passes away and no one else remembers him then he'll disappear forever before she gets there and he never will get to see her again right and i think reminding you that one more time yeah probably would have been a good thing um Mm. however i was also crying enough So, so I'm not I, sure if it actually needed it for me yeah, at least, but I understand yeah. what you're saying. I I understand as well. I I felt like it was adequate, um, and that's kind of a, a lukewarm kind of answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was in there, I wouldn't have been like, "Oh man, why'd they add that?" But I'm also not like, "Oh, why didn't they add that?" So I'm just kind of neutral on that. Fair enough. I mean, I I. I, I, I agree. I mean, it, it got me none the same. I mean, you know, I got a little misty and whatnot. It, you know, oh, water me, came out of my it, eyes. It got water me none- came out of my eye holes. <laughs> it got me nonetheless. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying that it could have been, you know, and, and I think it was a missed opportunity is just what I'm getting at. I mean, it was, what? it was, it was. Why do you want more people to cry, Rob? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a sadist. But, um, it, you know, it was just, I, I, I felt like it was a missed opportunity and it was something that they, probably could have and should have included okay jimmy here's a phrase that i never thought i'd ever say but tell me about some pokemon oh my happy God. to greg because as much as you guys talk about your star wars galaxies mobile app um i get to have my poke moment okay um yes i still play pokemon um and this past week they had their first global challenge event where all of the trainers, that's what we're called, the people who play the game. All it's of the- so much nicer sounding than losers. Oh, <laughs> I play it too. No, you don't. Not anymore. You did, but I appreciate your. I appreciate that. Uh, but I don't need your pity. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you know, trainers around the world were kind of given this goal to catch three billion Pokemon by you know, Sunday, this past Sunday, as of this recording. And it seemed crazy. Uh, There were rewards, uh, three tiers that would be unlocked with the, um, you know, one of them being uh, double XP for every catch that you made for every thing that you did in the game. Um, Because as much as we've talked about the pay to play kind of games Pokemon for me very much. It's still a game that you don't have to spend that much money on. You know, uh, they do have not an EA game is what he's saying. (laughs) Yeah. Not an EA game. Um, they have these really cool events, um, you know, around the holidays and you've had your Halloween events where you can catch particular Pokemon that are kind of spooky. Um, or you've got like Easter events where, you know, lucky eggs do certain things or they're more accessible. Um, this one, the ultimate goal was to unlock to different parts of the world, uh, two Pokemons that were regionally exclusive. And those being Kangaskhan, 
uh, which were which was only available in Oceana, uh, that would release Kangaskhan into um, parts of Asia, and Farfetched, who has only been yeah, he's a little <laughs> bird that carries around a leak and uses it as a sword, and it's no, not I'm... dorky at all. I was no, I was laughing at releasing Kangaskhan into Asia. Didn't that happen like, like decades oh ago? Oh god, <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Uh, Farfetched also has a stunning unibrow. He does, uh, but Farfetched was released. the The trainers around the world did meet their goal, and I will keep this short because we will be moving on to other topics, and I'm the only one talking here. But no, no, I'm actually, I'm, I am actually still kind of intrigued about the Pokemon thing. Um. I had no background with Pokemon so, when the game came out. Here's the thing. Neither did I. Well, I played Pokemon Red and Blue, and a lot of people left the game kind of when you did. Or stop. Some people, oh, hey, you know, check it out. Open it here. Or I'm in a location that I haven't been. Let me open it and see if there are any Pokemon here. That's, that's where I'm at. Right. Like, oh, I'm on vacation. Maybe there's something different in New York. Exactly. And there are. But... Yeah. It has, uh, they've made, you know, big leaps in the, the past year. And, you know, we'll be talking about it on our year end show. I'm sure you guys just can't wait. But this event being one, you know, and they launched this global event where, where they followed, um, on YouTube, they followed trainers from around the world as they were going through and reaching this almost unreachable goal of catching three billion Pokemon. Uh, the final tally was just over 3.3 billion. Uh, Farfetch'd and Kangaskhan were available for 48 hours in their new region. So starting Sunday morning, when I was driving from Savannah, Georgia, back to Florida, um, I, I did manage to catch seven Farfetch'd. Um, wow. And as a bonus secret unlockable that just kind of you know, nobody really expected uh, the legendary bird Ho-Oh <laughs> has been... Rob, Rob, do you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. Let me strengthen uh, my pimp hand. <laughs> <laughs> Ho-Oh has been made available to trainers. Um, I've heard until December 12th, but uh, I actually caught one tonight, and I couldn't uh, ho -Oh be Ho-Oh does not look at all like what I expected now that I'm Googling. Also, I did figure... It, he is spelled like you would expect. Uh, he looks more like a Quetzalcoatl of Mexican culture. He does not look um, at all like a like you would think a ho-ho would. I was thinking a little more plump. I was and, thinking more ho-ho. Okay. Like, yes. I got you. But, uh, you know, if if you guys are still playing Pokemon, um, let me know. I'm, I am not. You know, I'll go out and I'll meet up with people to do raids and they'll be like, oh, ho-ho was on season four and he's a gen four. I'm getting this wrong um but <laughs> i that's I, that's your disclaimer <laughs> yeah this is way wrong if i'm right out there, there's mean, a pokemon listener that's like wow he is all wrong i've never listened to this podcast again there's somebody oh, there not going, on episode four no he was season f five gen three i don't know any of that stuff i just like catching them i like going out to the raids i like going out to the events it's fun you know, it's it's harmless fun. I actually, I, I went out tonight before we started recording. I was bored. And uh, I found a new art center uh, because I went out and did a raid. Uh, yeah, without Pokemon Go, when it first came out, I happened to be in New York. 
and across the street from the hotel, there was one of those little stops and it said it was the Brill building. Hmm. And I was, and I, I had heard the name, but I didn't quite know the history behind it. Uh, but the Brill building actually started off as a music warehouse, like where they were, would just form bands. Hmm. Uh, Benny Goodman orchestra started there. Glenn Miller orchestra started there, which you guys probably know from when swing became big again. But of course, um, Back in uh, in the '40s, it was the big band era. It was huge, mm-hmm. but right, also yeah. uh, then it turned into the uh, kind of a songwriting where it, usually songwriters and producers would write music there. Um, Burt Bacharach, Bobby Darin, Neil Diamond, uh, Carol King, the, all these guys. Sonny Bono wrote stuff there. Uh, Paul Simon, Neil Sedaka, so all this like soft pop uh, yacht rock stuff was written in this building, and I wouldn't have ever known it as a historical landmark if it wasn't for pokemon go so yeah the two of them kind of go together i mean even yeah. even bobby darren and yeah i mentioned him liza minnelli uh your favorite rup uh absolutely frankie valley in the four <laughs> seasons wrote there yeah i mean i've found some really cool parks and you know tonight i i discovered the maitland art center which i would have probably you know not otherwise sought out or, or are you found. one of those people that happened upon a corpse not yet huh. keep playing keep playing yeah, you you keep uh, walking around and, your neighborhood, and and exactly. I and I have to say that that a video game actually was the um, was was one of the things that that really kind of illustrated the um, the generational gap between me and a coworker, and then me and an older coworker. I was like, oh my god, um, the the name, I, and I want to ask you, Greg, the name McLeod came up, and when the name McLeod came up, what do you think of McLeod? Highlander first thing I think of the, well, people like using they used to use that, I think, in like angry police chief thing. But um, isn't that from uh, that's from uh, Sky Fox, right? That that was what my younger employee or my younger coworker thought. He thought it was a uh, uh, what is Ma- Sky Fox? Star Fox. He meant Star, Star Fox. Oh, oh God. He, he meant he meant Fox McCloud. There's another name that I am bound to mispronounce <laughs> from from Star Fox. The first thing I thought of was Connor McLeod from the Highlander or Duncan McLeod from the Highlander. But apparently there was also another McLeod and it was one of my older coworkers who pointed it out from a TV show or something. Um, that was the even, one I, that's the first one I thought of. It, nice. it used to be like one of those callbacks, like, you know, like sometimes they'll cut to a hospital scene. You hear that mm-hmm. Dr. Davis, blah, 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 blah. Like they use it in like the beginning of Dr. Feelgood. They use it in a bunch of other hospital shows. Mm-hmm. There, I think there was a thing with a, like a McLeod, like an angry police chief yelling McLeod. But gotcha. I'm not sure what that was from. Hmm. But I, I thought it was weird that it was like three different generations all had, you know, McLeod. It was, a, and, it was a TV. It was a TV series from right. uh, 1970 to 77. Right. So that's one of the they they also use that reference a lot on Mystery Science Theater. So oh, do they? Oh, OK. OK. So we were talking about corpses and finding corpses. So um, let's uh, use that as our terrible segue to uh, the movie Creep 2. Not actually a terrible segue. <clears throat> At all. Um, Creep <laughs> 2 is, of course, the sequel to Creep. Um, go on. Which, look, uh, you can go back through the description, but they're, uh, you know, of this episode. So this is your your warning with any warning. Um, I There's no way I can talk about this movie without spoiling the first one. So here's your warning. Um, Creep 2 picks up where creep one lefts off and what creep one followed a videographer who responded to an ad, um, 
of a man who wanted a videographer to follow him around in his final days as he was battling cancer. Um, it turns out the man that was dying of cancer was not actually dying, but is a sociopath uh, serial killer uh, by the name of Aaron, who just, look, there's no way of describing this movie without saying creepy. And I'm probably going to say it a dozen times, but Aaron is a total creep. Um, the guy who plays him is named Mark Duplass, and he also co-wrote uh, the first and second movies. Uh, both movies are directed by Patrick Bryce. The first movie actually co-stars Patrick Bryce. Uh, Creep 2 follows Aaron, our sociopathic, sociopathic serial killer, as he puts out another ad on Craigslist, and the woman who responds to this ad is responding to a manner of all ads on Craigslist. Um, she has a web series called web series called Encounters that just isn't taking off like she thought it would. And Aaron um, is kind of her, uh, you know, ultimate subject. Huh. Wow, the first movie had two, just two people in it. I'm looking at the the information yep. about it. That's interesting. Yeah, and. Creep 2 says that there are three people in it, but still, there's only really two people. It's huh. Sarah and Aaron, who's played by Mark Duplass, and it's creepy, man. It's uncomfortable. Um, he is... Uh, so I, I thought it was important to copy and paste the definition of sociopath, and <laughs> <laughs> that is... <laughs> yeah. A person with a personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and a lack of conscience. And that is the serial killer um, in this movie. Uh, so I, I can't quite call it a horror movie. Um, it is a very uncomfortable exclamation into the deep, tarks of deep, deepest, darkest parts of the human mind. Um, that is not a quote. But you can quote me if you want. I just um, put a bunch of stuff on Craigslist for sale, and now I'm terrified. You should be. Don't do and, that. Yeah. No. I'm going to um, get ordered by sociopath. Don't tell them that. I've already, I've already replied to three of them. <laughs> I knew that phone number looked familiar. <laughs> uh, so Creep 2, if you have not seen Creep 1, Creep 1 is available on Netflix. Uh, Creep 2 is a Netflix production along with Blumhouse, who we have talked about many times as being a great producer of horror features um, that have even been featured in Halloween Horror Nights. Um, it's available right now on VOD, but it will be available on Netflix on December 23rd. So Merry Christmas. Christmas Eve Eve, you can watch a serial killer be super super creepy and wear a werewolf mask and call him peach fuzz call himself peach fuzz the friendly werewolf <laughs> and sarah sarah loves her juicy fruit and aaron loves to kill so nice. check it out awesome i might actually do that although not on the 23rd that is uh yeah, watch it with the family it's fine 100% dedicated to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Krampus. My, my two favorite Christmas movies, which I'm sure at some point we'll end up talking about. But Don't don't forget the one that I watch every year, which is A Christmas Story. I don't know why. I just love watching that around Christmas. Die Hard? 
Yeah, Die Hard, the, Die the Hard. ultimate Christmas movie. Yes. Well, I'm, we're going to get into that. So let's 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 uh, we're we're reeling it back in. We are no longer punishing our listeners. Uh, I'm taking this one for the beginning and for the team. I, well, no, the uh, growing up, my when I first started reading comics, the Punisher was my favorite comic book character. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. Not that Punisher. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, I. One of my first comic books I got was Punisher Warzone number one because that was back when every comic had like multiple versions. So there's Punisher War Journal. There's Punisher, Punisher War Journal, and Punisher Warzone number one. And I bought it because it was a number one. Did you get that one as well? I did from a 7 Eleven. I remember the cover. It was a close up of his face. I actually have Punisher War Journal number one too. Uh, That one's actually worth something. Punisher Warzone, not so much. But anyway. So, in fact, of the comics that I actually, from my childhood, that actually have up here and aren't, unfortunately, being stored down at my, my parents' house, um, that, that's one of the groups that I actually brought up here so I could, like, revisit them from time to time. So I'm a big Punisher fan. Um, my A good friend of, of mine, and actually someone that listens to the show who's a comic book artist, he also got me into the older Punisher comics and introduced me to some of that stuff because again, you couldn't just go online and learn about the stuff. He showed me some of the the older comics from before the nineties. Mm-hmm. So, the Punisher, all of the movies that have come out before this, um, not all the official ones, have always been. They couldn't figure out the character. They either did him as some something that he was torturing somebody or whatever, or it was just kind of goofy. Yeah, it was kind of goofy, or it just they never could could figure out the character and part of that i understand is because the punisher is just revenge that's it he is basically a walking moving tank that only wants to kill criminals and if you are a criminal you need to die and it doesn't matter what you're doing so a a vigilante so it's not yeah he's a vigilante he is you know if you are robbing a store in the street that's the same as murder you're gonna die and this version of the punisher finally got it right and i thought they'd find i had hints that they got it right with Daredevil 2 when his appearance is, in fact, his first appearance when he basically just took out a room full of people and that was it. I thought they got it right. Hmm. And it was just verified to me that they did when I saw this series. I, one, I guess, have you guys watched it yet? I've I've seen, I think, the first five episodes. Okay. Of Punisher, I've think... not seen it. Okay. I've seen some of Daredevil. Okay. So... The story, uh, there's a few things. I can just talk a little bit about the story. I mean, the sure. story is typical. Basically, he go, he comes back from the Afghanistan War. In the comics, it was Vietnam, which we talked about. He comes back from the Afghanistan War. He's going to, on a picnic with his family, and they get wiped out in an attack. And he basically sets his mind on, on vengeance. He thinks that he's getting past. He thinks he kind of finishes the job in Daredevil 2 and kind of the, this starts after he thinks everything is done, and then he slowly gets pulled back in. But I was – for something called The Punisher and for what the story was, it's actually not as violent as you would imagine. Uh, they did have to kind of reel back the release date by a month because it was supposed to come out the same week as the Las Vegas shootings. Yes. Whoops. So they did reel that back. Well, not whoops. I mean it was – there's they were – they thankfully were not tone deaf on that. Yeah. But I thought that they – they do a really good job with PTSD in the show. And that sounds like a weird direction for me to take this. But usually uh, you when you're watching they... this kind of show, you want like action, action. What, go ahead, Jimmy. I, I was going to ask, do they make do they do a good job of humanizing it? They really do. Uh, kind of putting a face on it and showing how traumatic it can be. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they do. Because I think uh, that, so there's, 
usually when you watch this kind of show, you're like, okay, give me some more action, blow up some stuff. But the scenes that I found myself riveted by are the the scenes in the, um, I guess it's the basement of a church or something where they're doing the support groups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought those were great. The characterization of that, of the, the younger soldier who is having a hard time sleeping in his house. So he's digging his own foxholes. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis and sleeping in those and almost shot his own father. Yeah. Like wakes up in a cold sweat and almost shoots his own father and is slowly getting corrupted, uh, kind of towards the, uh, well, kind of towards the MAGA crowd for, for lack of a better term. Like they, they definitely, the dark side. Yeah. Like kind of towards the, but it makes it understandable. It's not like it definitely shows it from both sides. So it's like, Mm -hmm. Look, this guy came back. There's no one to help him. However, there are these other groups of people that are like, look, you came back and you're only working a terrible job. And after all you did, you lost friends. And that's understandable. Like that is an understandable turn. And they it really did humanize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that, that part really great. Uh, they brought in Micro, which is his uh, kind of his Oracle type character who did all of his computer work and figured out in the comics what to do. His uh, guy behind the desk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he's the guy behind the desk. Um, they they brought him back in and I, they changed him up, but I liked I actually liked that story a lot too, where he kind of stepped away from his family because he was there was part of like a government shady kind of situation, and I thought that was really interesting. the The fact that he's kind of watching his family and and Frank is kind of or Frank is the Punisher is kind of the surrogate father, kind of going in and because of the fact that he's just out there for revenge, you know that he's not there like trying to hit on this guy's wife who thinks that he's dead and stuff like that. It just it's an interesting it's an interesting storyline. So and, really all the side storylines are good. And I and I do have to say that the casting of John Berenthal as the Punisher is absolutely effing brilliant. I mean it's it, is, it is totally perfect. Yeah, I mean he because of his the flat nose, he looks like he's taken a few punches just like yeah. like the the Punisher. Uh the you know the Punisher has had some great storylines throughout the years, but um, the my favorite Punisher writer is Garth Ennis, who brought a he brought an absurdity to it, but not with the character. He Punisher in this case had moved into like a uh, just a tenement that had a bunch of other people, and all of them were weird. So it definitely had some humor aspects to it, and in <clears throat> which I think they actually brought into some of the movies, but they didn't get the tone right. In this, they did take some of the storylines and some of the characters that Ennis created, mm-hmm. uh, like some government. Um, people that were shady and some investigators and villains and things like that. And those carried over really well. I I am absolutely intrigued um, by, by your review. And uh, you know, one person did tell me, and you touched on this. Uh, one person said, Oh, it's too emotional for the Punisher. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with that. I, and in in hearing Greg's description of it, and and the way that you're you're saying it's it's humanizing, you know, um, the the character. Uh, I mean, he, I I want to watch it. I mean, the character that was the most Rob. Who would you think the most realistic character in the whole show is? And I hate I hate this character in the show, you know, because you're not supposed to, but like because it, he makes me want to bash my head into a wall. Um the the most human character. Is the it, one that, like, I'm convinced that, like, everyone knows this guy. The 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 guy who runs the support group for me. I mean... Oh, well, he's great. Uh, that that character's great. No, I was, the guy at the support group, the heavyset guy, who's, like, spouting out, like, conspiracy oh, theories left the, and right. The, the don't tread on me guy? Yeah. Like, um, I hated him. I 
but I understood him. Mm-hmm. You 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 yeah. understand where he's coming from, even if you don't necessarily agree with his point of view, which is great writing. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, like I hated him more than any villain in the entire show, but I totally understood him. And all I wanted to do was just talk to him, and be like, dude, you're not making sense. And then when there, there's some twists with him, not big ones, but like twists overall, where he's not he's lying about his past. Mm-hmm. So he's like t- talking about all this crap about how he was, you know, in the army let him go and all this stuff. And it turns out that he never was actually in Vietnam and he was just kind of trash talking, which is, which made me just want to scream. But the fact that a theoretically a comic book movie made me dislike a character that much that wasn't really overtly doing anything bad thought made me like, wow, that was good writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, a couple other things for the, for the comic nerds. So we get away from the, the more serious stuff. Uh, the battle van came back. Or that was the first time you actually saw the battle van, which I was like, "Oh, the battle van!" I'm, I was excited. I think um, I think I just got introduced to the battle van the last episode I saw. Okay, because because it, it wasn't it wasn't there at the beginning of it, was it? Or maybe it was. Uh, no, I don't, no, I don't believe so. I mean, it was it wasn't it was there, it just wasn't in camera. Okay, that was good. Um, of course, micro. One of the main characters uh, is a actor from the show Westworld, and. Uh, he plays Logan in Westworld and it was one of those, he was, he did a really good job in this too. I'm not going to go further about with him, but very handsome, very, very, very handsome. And he was handsome in, uh, in Westworld as is, well. Is he the guy, is he the guy's buddy? Yeah. Oh, he, and see when I, I see his, when I see his name, I think like, I think of like Bucky Barnes. Yeah. He he runs like a, um, one of those like private security firms that would hire the, the former military folks. So, uh, every time you say, Micro. It sounds like you're saying micro from Dirty Jobs, and uh, yes, Mike Micro is in there. He's uh, he pauses from cleaning septic tanks on television to then do all of the computer work for the Punisher. Excellent. And yeah. good for him. And, and glad he, he still got. He work. still does the cleanups. He's the cleaner after the Punisher is finished. Oh really? No, not yes. really. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so it's it's just a really good show. It's uh, it's on Netflix as we've said, and. Mm. I think it's one of the strongest of all of the Marvel Netflix shows that they all have some sort of tones. Uh, some, I think some of them end up a few episodes too long, but this one is up there with, you know, with the first daredevil series and Jessica, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage is one of my favorites. So. Nice. Excellent. I'm going I, to check it out. I, I, I am promise. enjoying it. I, I, I will say that I, I'm about five episodes in to the first season and I, I am enjoying it. It's very well done. And I believe that leads us to our question, Rob. Hit us. All right. So in honor of the Punisher, who Greg and I both both seem to really enjoy the show, we want to know what are your five best vigilante shows slash movies? Who wants to go first? I'll go first because this list was kind of easy for me Um, and really actually pretty enjoyable to put together to go back and and really kind of piece this together. I think I revised this a few times. and I, I can start, you know, down from, from number five, um, <clears throat> is old boy, not the American release. Uh, actually, we talked about old boy on last week's episode. I was talking about a single shot. Did you really? We did not fully, but just talking about single shot takes or single shot, you know, scenes in films. Well, there you go. And so yeah, old boy, fantastic film of, of revenge. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. The Korean release. I did not actually see the American release of that. You did not miss much. 
good. I'm 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 really considering kind of moving this one around, but um, at number four, it's going to be John Wick, and I thought it was just one of the uh, best thrill rides I've 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 been on in the theater. I guess, um, you know, if you you love action and revenge and a damn good reason to hate the guys that he's going against, um, you know, definitely check out John Wick. Um, number three, Ford's Legacy, Kill Bill. Number two, I'm going with Kick Ass. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And number one is uh, the Professional, uh, aka Leon the Professional. Also, a good so, one. Thank you. Pretty easy list for me to put together. I know exactly what you mean about this list. It was this list very quickly grew to 10, 11, 12 films. And then yeah, I had to exactly. kind of mentally start taking out some things. Yep. So like, now this is not something I expected you guys to do. This is just for my own reasoning. Like, I started taking out like superhero related ones. And that's or, exactly what I did too. I, cause I, and like, I started pulling out like supernatural ones, things like that. And it was like, I just want pure vigilante because. There's a there's a lot of good stories of revenge. But but when you yeah. when you get down to it, technically every superhero movie is a vigilante movie. Yeah. One way or the other, I, yeah. I mean technically, yeah. So, so. And, and that's the reason I left Kick Ass in there is is because the characters in that movie were not super superheroes. I mean, they they did not come about these great powers. They just were vigilantes. And and when I thought about it, the first scene that popped in my head with Kick Ass was the uh, Nicholas Cage being tied to the chair. Oh my God! Which what a led, scene. which definitely leads to the more of the feelings of revenge rather than we just got these powers. Let's stop crime. Um, also, I really like thinking of Nicholas Cage tied to a chair. <laughs> that was a phenomenal scene, though. I mean, yeah, it was. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my list here. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start at the beginning of, of revenge movies. At least, I mean, obviously there've been many, 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 but one of the first big ones that that caused a lot of problems or caused a lot of people to take notice was death wish with Charles Bronson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Um, this was also right around the time as, um, you know, there was, there were problems with vigilanteism in New York and other places. And while it's not, well, it's kind of dated, although they are, they are doing a remake of death wish starting Bruce Willis that will be really? out in 2018. Yes. Yeah. So while they're doing that, um, I wanted to, I, I like, you know, while it's not my favorite really, but it started it for me. So I wanted to kind of make note of that one. Uh, Kill Bill was the next one, and you know both one and two, and just a great story of revenge. But I think some of the emotion of the revenge idea of it does get a little lost with just the craziness of the characters and the ideas and stuff like that. But just as someone purely going after somebody and not stopping until they're gone, Kill Bill is great. Uh, Boondock Saints, another great one. I, this is actually another one of those... Uh, those direct to video releases for, for Blockbuster that they own, but it definitely took on a life of its own. Yeah. As its own little cult following. Yeah. So much so that yeah. some of the actors were actually at that uh that horror convention that we were at the uh couple weeks ago. So that one, uh The Professional, uh, Jimmy yeah, mentioned it's... it. Uh, yeah, I was torn on that one. Is it is it a Hitman movie? Is it not? Uh, it, but that one actually bumped the crow, which is why I decided to pull Supernatural out of oh, there because the crow is wow. one of, you know, as we know, one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. But it has such a supernatural feel to it that I kind of I bumped it out of there. And, and I almost included the crow also. I almost and, did uh, as well. Yeah. And number one uh, is John Wick, which really so solidified good. both one and two solidified 
Keanu Reeves as an action hero, mm-hmm. and he, he can never mess with a man's. He never messes with a man's dog. No, you do not. And I actually have a very hard time watching the first one. Like I had to jump past those chapters oh. on the first on the first one every time I watch it. So, uh, John Wick was my number one. Yeah, Rob. Well, um, so all of your listeners are all of the listeners who have listened to me give lists before. You know that I have to include something that's completely cheesy and totally ridiculous. So my number five is going to be my cheesy entry for the for the uh, question, and it's going to be Hobo with a Shotgun. You know, a, Rob, I actually had that on my original a, list. A brilliant little movie starring Rudger Hauer. And it's, Rudger Hauer. Man. It is total grindhouse, total cheese, and absolutely fantastic. I, I saw that on the list, and I actually did a double take. Surprised that it was Jimmy that put it on there at first and not you. I was like, oh, Rob already got to the list, because usually I send out the you know the document, and uh-huh. I was very shocked that I was like, oh, Rob already got this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, so anyway, so yes, Hobo with a Shotgun is my number five. Um, my number four, and I've I've got an either or here simply because I know it was very popular and it was a very well done show. It really wasn't my favorite, but it fits the topic perfectly, and that's Dexter. Um, yeah. Dexter really yeah. fits in there, but like I said, it really wasn't my favorite. So I I would probably replace that with Law Abiding Citizen, which starred uh, Jamie Fox and uh, Gerard Gerard Butler. Um, just a really great kind of getting revenge and almost like a mystery. I saw that. Who done it and how did he do it? So um, enjoyable, enjoyable for what it was. Um, Number three, I, I would put in the movie straw dogs. I don't know if you guys saw that. That was, I think that was another one of those blockbuster ones. Well, it was, it was, it was also redone. Um, And I saw, I saw the remake, um, but but all in all, it was it was it was a pretty good movie. It was um, guy and his guy and his girlfriend go like on a vacation to an isolated cabin house, and some guys take a fancy to take take a liking to his girl. Um, chaos ensues, and the hillbillies end up dead. So Straw Dogs will be number three. Uh, my number two uh, was uh, Boondock Saints. Greg already touched on that one, and my number one is just like Greg and I agree with this one. John Wick has got to be my number one. Um, really, probably one of Keanu Reeves' best movies, um, excluding excluding my, my classic Bill and Ted. But um, one of Keanu Reeves' best movies, in my opinion. Um, and he just did a fantastic job. And I, I still I still laugh every time I see the scene where uh, John Leguizamo calls up the Russian mob guy and says he... He stole a car. He stole John Wick's oh, car. Yeah. And the and the Russian mobster goes, I see. Oh, and and yeah. hangs up. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he killed his dog? And he killed his dog. And he hangs up. And then he goes and just beats his son senseless. It's like. <laughs> yeah, he's just. What he, did you do? He, <laughs> it's so good because you don't know how that's going to go. And, of course, he's he's. His, you know, son's father, who was played by uh, Alfie uh, Theon Greyjoy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. The, Alfie Moore. The the, anyway. the son is played by Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, and, and he's on the phone with John Leguizamo, and he Alfie just Allen, goes, by the way. Alfie Allen. I'm sorry, and he goes. He stole his car, and he took his dog. He hangs up the phone, and he just goes. 
you just see it on his face. He's like, well, we're we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, so he goes and beats, you know, it was so great. It's, man. Su- it's such a great scene. And I laugh every time that scene comes on. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> he killed him with a pencil, a fucking pencil. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> OK, so we got to uh, wrap this up here. Yep. So let's. Let's make our five. And you know what? Jimmy is actually. Uh, I think Jimmy's on it. Build, I, I, he's building this uh, this list here. I, um, he it, got, again, it was easy yeah, for I me. Can't, I, I, John Wick, number one. I can't argue with that. Kill Bill, number two. I, I didn't like Kill Bill, but I can't okay. argue with its placement there. Yeah. Uh, Boondock Saints, yep. number three. Yep. Two and three, those are interchangeable in my yeah. opinion. Uh, the professional number four, I'm okay if, with that. If we're including and number five, including, he's got hobo with the shotgun in there for ridiculousness, which I'm kind of okay with. I'm also okay with the crow. Dude, it's though. great. I know. Yeah. I, I, it I involves mean, a hobo with a shotgun. Yes, it's an old, pissed off like Rutger Hauer who looks like he smells like an old cheap bottle of vodka. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, he looks like an, a cheap bottle of vodka that had been poured into an ashtray. The last line of the movie is fantastic. <laughs> it is, and and it totally sums up the the um, whole the whole feel of the movie when he gets the bad guy and he's surrounded by all the cops and he's got the bad guy on his knees with his with his gun pointed at him and he says, "You and me, we're going to hell, and you're riding shotgun." <laughs> it's. It's so in the vein. It it's like so taxi driver times a hundred. Mm-hmm. And that and that know, was one I was surprised it, it didn't get included on any of our list was taxi driver. That's true. It was almost on mine because my band did use a sample from Taxi Driver when I was a teenager. Mm. But that's our list. And that's our episode. So say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. I knew he was gonna do that. I'm going to pour a glass of milk. I'm going to pee. Which, if... (laughs) Okay, dying. (coughs) We're here with our kid movie critic, and we're going to ask him about the movie Coco, which we saw over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Ethan, did you enjoy Coco? Yes. What was your favorite part? Where he was with with the family, with the dog and... Well, the first of a family, then the, and then of the, two of them got, got and then a lot one. Oh, you liked when they were a family, and then they were, and everyone got back together as skeletons? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what did you think about the music? The music, it was really funny. It was funny? <coughs> who was your favorite? <coughs> oh, who was your favorite character? The Galkin. Which skeleton? The, the main one, the one that was helping him? The one that was his friend, right? The, the one, he daddy. His, oh, his daddy? Okay. Um, what about the puppy? The puppy. He was really funny. He was chasing the bones. He was chasing the bones around? What about the big jaguar? The big flying jaguar. Do you think that was cool? It was funny. Funny? I think it was scary. Yeah. You know what? Because it, 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 you know what? He melted. 
You probably smell their footprints. Yeah, you can smell their footprints and find them. Yeah. Okay. So, would you suggest that other other mommies and daddies take their little boys and girls to see that movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. I wish that was skeleton. You wish you were a skeleton? No. And that and my my whole family was skeleton. That's terrifying. Okay. Well, that's it, bud. Thank you. You're welcome.